will say, hey, I want a, someone that owns a European auto that's in a third year of a three-year lease that's been on a Disney vacation and owns a shotgun and is a convicted felon. And <laughs> you end up with a target audience of, a lot three of scale people. There. Yeah, like, <laughs> more than, more a lot than of you scale. would think. I was yeah. more in the Bud Light category, yeah. not that one. <laughs> well, it wasn't a personal yeah, Okay, all right, that's fine. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Human Element, uh, Kara's podcast focused on modern marketing. I'm so excited. We've got a full house here today. Let's see if we can get through the names. This is always a challenge. Uh, Dave Cederbaum, EVP Video Investment. Brad Stockton, VP Video Innovation, both of Amplify. Thanks so much for being Correct. with us. And Andrew Ward, President at Ampersand, formerly... NCC Media. NCC Media. That might get everybody like, oh, all right. Oh, I know who that now is. Because it was just what, like two weeks ago? Two, or? three weeks ago. Yes, yeah, right. exactly. Very new. Very. Before we dive in, uh, I'm going to ask Dave, you and Andrew, to tell a little bit about your respective organizations. Dave, you want to start? Sure. So um, I am the EVP of video investment for Amplify. So for those of us who, those of you who don't know, Amplify represents the investment arm of Dentu Aegis Network, and it crosses all clients. So in that capacity, it has things underneath it, such as global media partnerships, operations, the different activation channels like digital and video and audio and what have you. I co-lead the video activation department within Amplify. Got it. That was really succinct. Have you done this before? <laughs> I have not. I that have felt not. like practice. No, was, well, did you get like the mirror this morning? No, no. I'm pretty, right. pretty comfortable about where I work. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few questions I know I'll get pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty much on I don't point. know that I can handle <laughs> yeah. that. So Ampersand, as, as you said, previously formerly known as NCC Media, we're a national sales data technology company in the TV space. We represent uh, over 100 programmers across... 85 million homes in 200 markets, and we're a limited uh, uh, partnership owned in part by Comcast, Cox, and Charter. And we also have affiliate partnership agreements with virtually every other MVPD in the marketplace uh, currently. So let's dive in. And Brad, I'm going to start with you on this. Um, From a, you have innovation in your title, so I'm just going to curse you with that at this point, right? Okay. From a kind of snapshot of this moment in time, there's been an enormous amount of change in and around this space for a long time. Where are we right now? Like, if if you were sort of graphing on the uh, TV scale, where are we? It's a good question. I I mean, at this point, you know, we definitely aren't at the peak, but we're definitely going up that hill right now. We're getting there. We're getting a lot smarter with everything we're doing on television, but we have a lot more that we still need to go and a lot more we still need to push before we're at the peak because the truth of the matter is we are getting a lot smarter with data. We're using data in our television buys, whether it's through our addressable partners like Amberson or if it's going through data-driven linear. We're starting to use the data, but we're still not at the peak where we're using for everything we're doing. We're still rooted in age and gender for the bulk of our buys and to Mm. the point where we're really using it for Every every single impression that's served is data-driven. That's when I say we're at the peak. Andrew, from your yeah. perspective, what does the phrase addressable, addressable TV mean? When I look at where we sit, our organization, Ampersand, in the TV ecosystem, in many ways, I feel that uh, we're back in the earliest days of our organization's formation. If you look at the history of the cable business, Uh, nobody doubted the sound strategy back in the day of the early formation of our organization. But that sound strategy was clouded by executional burden. If people wanted to buy ESPN in Chicago or Detroit or San Francisco, they understood the value proposition that that represented. But that value proposition was clouded by 
uh, process. Uh, and it was less the cost of the media than it was the cost of the doing uh, the cost of doing business from the buy side. And that was really born out of the fact that you go to a market like Chicago and you have eight MSOs and 55 head ends and affidavits in a shoebox and invoices three months late. And it wasn't until we were able to rationalize that marketplace that the business took off. And it's today the local uh, cable business is a, is about a $6 billion business. And in many ways, I find that we're in the exact same position as we look forward. How do we rationalize that irrational marketplace around the things that we were just talking about? Data, technology, measurement. How do we bring unified, harmonized, federated solution into the marketplace such that brands can access that strategic value without the executional burden that's associated with it. So in many ways, I feel like my role today within the organization Ampersand is as it was in its earliest days as as an innovative uh, uh, startup. See, that's a really interesting perspective. And that was my way of dodging your question about addressable, <laughs> which, we'll, which we'll get back well, to. Don't worry, it's about to come right back <laughs> okay, at you. Good. Very so, good move there. Yeah, but, yeah, I yeah. Thought, but I think it's a really good framework. And, and one, I love the concept of everything old is new again, because I, I, the older I get, I feel like, it, didn't we do this again? And, you know, like in hmm. 1999, didn't we cover? So um, I, I agree with that premise. I guess my question is, just as local cable infrastructure got built, X number of, you know, decades ago, we're now in the process of building some kind of infrastructure to deliver quote-unquote addressable TV. Where where are we in that journey? I yeah, guess. so I've been on that journey for longer, more, more years than I care to admit, candidly. Uh, I was prior to Ampersand, uh, I was at Comcast and we launched a, addressable trials in markets like Huntsville, Alabama and Baltimore, Maryland, probably in 2008, 2009. And you got to keep in mind that at that time, the cable architecture, the physical plant of the cable company was an analog architecture. And when you try to layer on a digital-like solution, i.e. addressable, on the back of an analog architecture, it's like pushing a string. It's really difficult to make progress. And so why I think we're on the cusp of... of, uh, evolution and and dramatic uh, evolution in this space is really the evolution of the cable architecture. It's gone from a, if you look at companies like Comcast and Charter and go down the line, they've gone from an analog infrastructure to digital to cloud-based to give the viewer, the customer, greater choice in consuming content, how, where, and when they want to. It really has taken a number of years to swap out that cable plant Mm -hmm. from analog to cloud-based that will put wind in our sails over the next 24, 36 months and a a rapid deployment of uh, addressable capabilities that we've been working at for some some number of years. So, Dave, and and this can be a discussion, what is possible? So if I want to do... Material amounts of message cu- customization, yeah. right? If I come from a digital perspective and I'm coming to you and saying, "Oh, how do can I do some of those things that I can do in more purely digital environments in this space?" Is that what 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 is the art of the current? We are continuing to talk to CMOs, to clients in general, about the power of all the data that we have at our disposal, understanding who those actual strategic audiences are, and the benefit of talking to them exactly like you said in a personalized way on a one to one basis 
on their terms. So right now, it, we are still cobbling together to get that national footprint. So that's part of the challenge is trying to make sure that it does have that full national coverage if people are expecting it as a complement to what they have historically done on linear television to have as much broad reach as possible. And it's still primarily focused on the, the cable inventory. So there's scale gaps in that regard. There are, absolutely, yeah. because it's still broken up between the set-top boxes and the households that are yep. within the footprints that we're able to work with. I think that the evolution that we've seen most recently, which is great to partners like Amberson who bring this con- the consolidation of Comcast, Co- Cox, and Spectrum, where now we're looking at 38 million households. Mm-hmm. That's getting really strong across all 210 yep. DMAs. That's where we want to be. But I think the truth of the matter is, you know, there's addressable and addressable television. I purposely make them as two different things. And I make that very clear. Be- and what, what does that mean in your mind? Because addressable television, the delivery mechanism is still set top box mm-hmm. versus addressable digital, which is going to be via Vastag. Yep. To your point, where we're flopping out those boxes and starting to make them cloud-based and really starting to get to a digital world, that's when we can truly connect those dots. But today, you cannot connect the dots between a, an addressable digital box and a addressable TV buy because the delivery mechanisms are completely different and how you track and measure them. Right. Uh, just for the uh, lay people in the audience, namely <laughs> me, um, in your addressable digital, you're talking about through uh, uh, digital devices a la... Whether they're platforms, they're, 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 I mean, you have your YouTubes of the world, you yep. have okay. your, your devices like yep. your Rokus and so on and so forth. You're able to utilize the same data. We can still use those same audiences yep. in addressable television. We're just identifying the households versus the people. Yeah, yeah. and that's so, a big distinguishing factor is mm-hmm. that addressable is still focusing on the right households that we're identifying, but you can't really pinpoint one is one. it the right person. Yep. Exactly. Understood. That makes total sense. Give me a use case of a great example of a brand doing as much as they can at the moment in those, if we're going to assume that you're a frame of those two environments, can you give me a use case of, of anybody doing a great job with both of those different environments? So I'll give you an example of a national retailer. Perfect. Um, where we have the opportunity to marry their CRM data to our subscriber data on an in an anonymized, aggregated, and privacy-compliant manner yep. to, to identify those households that are most likely to shop in the in the beauty portion of the of the uh, store or in the bed and bath part of the store. And uh, the ability then uh, to be able to take their media that they're buying in the TV marketplace on a national basis. So they're buying national media across broadcast and cable network inventory. And the ability to tie ad exposure back from their campaign tied to those national schedules yep. and bump that impression data up against uh, that audience segment definition. Then we have, you know, over 40 million homes that we have on a national basis that we can bump that ad exposure data up against uh, rich audience segment data. And really that affords us the opportunity to do and the brand to do a number of things. The first of which is sort of to design sort of national TV reach extension yep. opportunities to say, hey, I have a segment of my audience that's uh, underserved or unserved through my national campaign. And you really don't close that gap in terms of reach by pouring more weight into the network. How do we identify that audience and deliver a messaging on an addressable basis against that underserved audience? So a national TV reach extension, leveraging data 
and uh, the ability to deliver that audience precisely in an addressable manner. And then the ability to create, which I, which I think is pretty exciting, uh, performance measurement uh, that not only looks at media outcomes, media measurement, traditional reach, frequency, unduplicated reach, but not against age gender, but against that rich target audience. Yep. And also brand outcomes. How do we then tie exposure data to ROI metrics that look back at sales? So the ability, really the premise of it, I would suggest, is how do we protect and grow the TV ecosystem in in the face of digital competition? And that digital competition, I think, has laid credit for bottom-of-the-funnel attribution. And at the end of the day, we don't think that people are born with search Lincoln MKZ as part of their medulla oblongata. (laughs) It's it's really (laughs) driven by the brand-building power of TV, but we've never really had the ability to measure TV in the same way we measure digital. How can, and we talk about multi-touch attribution. Well, TV has really not been involved in multi-touch attribution. So how do brands like a national retailer begin to think about their investment strategy across national, spot, and addressable using the same data on the front end and advanced measurement on the back end uh, to look holistically at their uh, media investment. And I think that's a great point about the complement that addressable offers to what you're already doing on a national perspective. Because we're certainly not saying that these big, large, whether or not it's a retailer or an auto or what yeah. have you, should necessarily be moving away from, from national linear television. It still works yeah. and it's still very impactful. But using addressable television to really reinforce that message to the high-value strategic audience that you're looking for is really where the benefit is. And one thing you just mentioned, which is something I think is an evolution, actually, in the addressable space, is going after that light TV viewer. That's something that hasn't been part of the strategy strategy for segmentation when it does when going after these strategic audiences it's really been focused in on just hitting the strategic audience well now we can layer on this factor of hey you know what you've only been hit three times in this entire mm-hmm. month I need to hit you more if I want to drive effectiveness with you user who's definitely a core cutter versus the person that's been hit 10 times exactly so I think that's being a really big evolution is that 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 just um, reach yeah, extender. and controlling that frequency of messaging. So we're not just building reach by just peppering on frequency to those heavy TV viewers that see it again and again and again. It's really focusing on those light TV TV viewers, and that's how we naturally extend our reach. Thank you. That was really interesting. You, you, you raised a couple things in there that kind of stick out. The first is uh, around attribution and Andrew's rather powerful endorsement of anything other than last click. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Or just as a compliment to it, <laughs> if nothing else. Uh, no, a, I'm with you. Trust me, I'm as with As a you. video awareness specialist, it, it, I, I appreciate yeah. that as well. Power, um, power, power the top of the funnel. Yeah, exactly. So I want to ask a question about sort of what are the most uh, evolving and interesting things happening in attribution from your perspective? You want to start, Andrew? Yeah, I'll jump in. You know, we think of sort of brand performance measurement. I guess I'd chunk it up into sort of three buckets. First is more broad-based brand awareness, purchase intent, message association, that kind of stuff, attitudinal measures. And the ability for us to create a deterministic, census-level, scaled, pre-post test and control environment working with third-party measurement companies to drill into sort of those uh, uh, softer metrics of, of awareness and consideration. And, and so that— And if I can interrupt one yeah, second, yeah. what is your estimation of the current level of receptivity of most marketing organizations of those kinds of metrics? We found a lot of brands and agencies who we were partnering with immediately wanted to go to the click. I yep. want to point okay. to yep. the bottom of that funnel. Yep. And now I think we're seeing the pendulum start to swing back and say, hey, 
if you want to be a storyteller as a brand and you want to build uh, brand recognition, the power of TV is unique in that regard. And the power of the top of that brand funnel to drive bottom of the funnel uh, engagement um, is recognized. So we've actually seen a, seen a shift uh, uh, pretty markedly back to sort of the core value proposition of yeah. TV as a brand storyteller. So if I come back to the sort of three-legged yeah, stool so in terms of attribution, is, yeah. first is sort of, uh, uh, you know, again, brand awareness kind of top of the funnel stuff. The second is more engagement metrics, I would say. You know, do you see the ad on TV and do you go online to search for a product? Sort of the correlation between offline media i.e. television and online behavior kind of a thing. And then the third is really uh, totally, uh, really down to the bottom of the funnel of sales of how do we create an environment where we can tie sales data back to uh, 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 ad exposure data. So, you know, a credit card company is able to look at, are you exposed to it? And did you go from the base credit card to the gold card, the pharmaceutical space, the healthcare space? How do we do that in a, in a privacy-compliant way? So the ability to, to look at the entirety of the marketing funnel from awareness to consideration to purchase. And I, and I loved how you said using the full funnel because part of what we've been going out there and talking about from an Amplify perspective is that video does really run the gamut and it can be almost looked at in its own consumer journey of itself, that you start at the top of the funnel with those broad, be, broad reach tactics like national linear television. You move slowly down the funnel into the smart reach tactics, which can be addressable television, which can be programmatic television, increasing that frequency against that high-value target, ultimately to the bottom with actionable reach, whether or not those are interactive capabilities with connected television ads and devices. So, And it's funny because we also have the level set too, because the idea is when somebody receives an ad, an addressable ad that's tailored to that person to think that they're actually going to immediately go buy that product is also not real, right? It's also, <laughs> let's, let's, let's manage, like, I just got a... Bud Brad, Light ad, I, I'm, I'm not going to immediately go buy a Bud Light now. <laughs> well, no, wait, you don't know how it works for me. But, <laughs> oh, but, oh, okay, well, yeah. we're addressing your house with a lot. Oh, only Robert during lunch. Well, no, yeah. it's a great point, right? And I used to work in the uh, in marketing for a JPMC, um, and when we would do mortgages and seconds, we had this conversation all the time. It's like, you're in the market for a mortgage when you're in the market for the mortgage, and that's, you know, buying large every 4.8 years. So in the interim, you just aren't. Uh, and there's only so much of that, you you know, it, it just is what it is. So, and I do think it sounds silly and it sounds a little pedantic, but there are still a lot of marketers who I think get disconnected from that. Again, driven largely by a lot of the pressures that they feel day in, day out around what are you doing for the organization. Constant need for performance. Accountability, accountability, exactly. accountability. Yeah. You run an MMM report and it's going to show you that if you can go for low re low low cost tactics that are very they're easily to track and measure and that's going to drive an actual sale, yeah, that's going to say put all your money there. But if you lose your awareness, nobody's going to click on it because they don't know what you're what it is. So I think it's really the combination uh, to, to to Dave's point. Our amplify approach is make sure you're within every phase of the funnel and then using it accordingly to be as strategic as possible. You know, I think TV, and you can argue the point. I think TV has sort of three sort of the holy trinity of attributes around unparalleled reach and scale 
quality, professionally produced, brand-safe content. Your ad's not going to appear in a fake news report about Trump or Biden, right? So that the quality of that content. And with that content comes a level of viewer engagement and emotional connectivity that is also unrivaled. But I think what's happening is our business, as you see this convergence of content and technology coming together, I think you see the ability to layer on digital-like capabilities onto TV around richer data. Mm -hmm. How do we think about data broadly uh, and more specifically uh, than traditional age gender has afforded us? How do we think about leveraging technology to deliver ads more precisely in a multi-screen environment? People are watching content on uh, whatever device they so choose. And how do you think about developing measurement strategies, back to your previous question, uh, that drive a level of accountability within the TV marketplace that historically hasn't been there in a traditional age gender post-buy? And so I think you're seeing this intersection of, and I think there's an opportunity for the renaissance of TV as you think about the double down on the legacy value proposition of TV, no doubt. But how do you begin to think about supporting that with and augmenting it with better data, better targeting, better measurement solutions? Are we getting closer to a point where my ability to message one-on-one impacts creative delivery? And what what I mean by that is, let me give you a use case. Uh, I'm a 1K United member, um, and I'm able to get something even as customized as even my points balance or what my redemption balance would be on a particular connection. How far are we away from that being delivered to me in a addressable TV environment, either the digital version you mentioned earlier or in some other futuristic Flash Gordon world in 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 the sort of set-top box-ish or whatever comes next after that uh, kind of delivery? We are we're getting closer. Okay. I mean, it depends on the data that we have that each client yeah. has. That CRM data that we're talking about. Right. With that, where this we assume you're merging, right? You've yeah. got a DSP, maybe, or you have some database environment where you've merged first and third party data, and you've you've tried to cram together your, and you've got to have some material amount of first party. You've got to have, have, have a loyalty well, program, thing. like something well, like that. In that example specifically, yeah. now we're talking about a true one, and we're trying to reach you specifically mm-hmm. of who you are with your points associated with that. So our first party data has to be absolutely locked in keen, have a, de- a device graph associated with that and make sure we're hitting the right person, yeah. the right message at the right time. Yeah. So I think that is something that we are working towards, but you have to have so much data that's going to be, yeah. that's going to make it impactful to make it scalable. I think we are closer in a world where we're looking at more drivers that are going to be more effective. So that personalization at scale is really what we're talking yeah. about, but more so around the world we are today at for addressable, I'm not going to go to TV yet with this one, but yep. where we are for addressable is knowing, okay, well, this person is a dog owner. So if I'm running yep. an ad okay. that's for a car, I'm going to have a dog in there yep. versus a cat. That we're there today. We can do that. Yep. I think that's something that's really actionable. I think what we're talking about is really going to that true one-to-one, talking to you know Dave Cederbaum here and about everything within what's going to make sense for him when we send an ad to his television. We're still, we're not there yeah, yet. Yeah, we're but still sure. a little, little ways away from a television perspective. Yes. Yeah. And the reason why I ask, and I, the reason why I ask is, and Andrew, I'll get to you in one sec. The reason why I ask is this, because you, you'll go to a conference or you'll wander down the street at Ad Week. And you'll hear people kind of broadly reference this intersection of CRM and acquisition and the unification of there is no acquisition department, there is no retention department, there's one common view, and that's going to be you know universally uh, omni-available cross-channel, even to the point of those traditional you know mass channels, blah, blah, blah. Like, you hear people talk this way. And that's why I asked the question, because, you know, in my 
instinct, it's like we are not the whole way home on this by some measure. Um, but there is certainly a broad amount of a, appeal to the idea. Sorry, yeah, Andrew. Yeah, you and, and uh, to be sure, uh, uh, we're not there entirely yet, but we have made, I think, as an industry collectively, agencies, advertisers, and distributors significant progress, meaningful progress, such that I'll give you an example of a national telecom company that has a CRM file. They know who their customers are, and they run a ton of national media, as they should, on national cable and broadcast inventory. And what they uh, recognize is the ability to look at exposure data across their CRM file uh, from that national activity and be able to suggest, hey, for those folks who are underexposed, I want to send creative copy B. Yep. Uh, different message than I'm sending to the national yep. marketplace. And so how do we begin to think about creative uh, applications from an execution standpoint, from a copy standpoint? It also begs the question, and I'm going to get shot by my you know global uh, creative network friends, my heritage. Does everything have to be shot by, you know— Joe Pitka, or you know what I mean? Like, I, I understand the need for production values and how they equate to like brand perception. I get all that, and I'm not running away from it. But I, I do think sometimes we, we haven't pushed hard enough on what the capability of technology can deliver you through video and the way that we execute that on some of these channels. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's almost. And Joe Pitka is such an old reference. My <laughs> apologies. But. Well, you know, my, when I look at it, I, you know, our focus should be always. Our creative agencies, our clients, and our our and our media buying agencies should all be in sync together. When we're looking at doing holistic planning and and full year planning, we need to make sure that we understand what the KPIs we're trying to achieve across every single channel, so that that creative has the proper end card for the KPI we're trying to achieve. A, 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 across which tactic we're activating again. So, you know, if the, the, the goal is awareness, you shouldn't run your awareness tactic in an addressable TV buy where you're trying to get attribution associated with it. You should make sure your end card is really dictating to shop now, drive to Walmart, drive to store versus, hey, we have this product, and this is what we stand for. So I think the goal is to make sure that we are all in sync with, okay, well, how many dollars are going towards awareness? How much are going towards a, a consideration or conversion tactic? And make sure that we are all in constant communication with our creative agency because our success is based just on much of the creative as it is on our tech stack anymore. So, I think that's a great point, and I'll, I'll I'll close this little section with this. Unless Andrew, you have something you want to add. the The reality is, we we are we as an industry, not the humans in this room, but we as an industry, um, in separating media twenty five years ago from the global creative networks and going down this sort of two tier path. We did create a material amount of separation between. You know, the brand planner thinking up how we're going to be unique and compelling and differentiated to these audiences and the execution of those creatives uh, in terms of concepts and ideas and the way in which we thought about channels and the way they get chosen and invested in. And now we're in a situation where so much of the richness of what happens in that channel selection and the data availability and the impact and the, and the way in which the experts there look at it, that needs to be fed back in a much more direct way back into that, you know, concepting and net new ideation uh, phase. And it's really not in a lot of places. I mean, we really still have a long hallway across multiple holding companies in some instances to get there. And I think that's a that's a real gap. All right, so let's jump ahead because there's uh, so many things that I would love to cover here. The one question I do want to get to, and this is an opportunity to take a shot in any direction you want, and you guys probably won't, but here's the fundamental reality. Declining audiences in primetime 
escalating prices in primetime. Is that a fa- is that a fair analysis of the market condition market condition of the moment? Oh yeah, I okay. would say it also extends beyond primetime. Well, I, I'm, I'm protecting <laughs> the innocent here, but but how long? I mean, for those of us familiar with the simple you know uh, uh, principles of supply and demand, how how long does that continue? Why is that the case? And how long does that continue? Well. It is it is a challenge that keeps me up at night. I will certainly admit that to this room and and listeners uh, amongst yourselves. Like I said, I it goes beyond just prime time. Obviously, yes. some of the prime time ratings that just came out over the premiere weeks were pretty abysmal. Yep. With the rating fragmentation, ratings are down consistently, um, but the pricing continues to skyrocket. Yes. Now, the challenge, going back to what you said about the supply demand mechanics, the money is still there because, as we've been talking about for the last forty minutes, television still works. Yep. So the challenge for our standpoint, and again, what keeps me up at night is where is that tipping point? Have yep. we reached that? Because every single client that I talk to say, great, thanks for navigating the upfront. Now what? Now what do we do? Because we can't go into next year and continue to and pay be in more the same for position. less. That's right. Exactly right. So what we look at is more of that holistic approach to video, embracing some of those uh, OTT and CTV players, recognizing that we yep. need to continue to follow the eyeballs and work with pro- platforms platforms like an ampersand looking at addressable television to funnel some money out of national television. But we have to think about making some sort of pivots because the ROI for our clients will go down over time if we continue to pay 10, 12% inflation each year for less reach. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, I wasn't, you know, as a, as a marketer, I just look at it and I'm like, what? I mean, and you, the, the key the key point you had in that, and I thought that was a very succinct, excellent uh, answer. So thank you. The the key point in that though is is that the supply and demand dynamics are still in effect. Is that there is far too much demand, and 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 the demand is driven one to your point because it still works, but also there are some sort of. Uh, outside factors, right? Like DTC organizations have sort of said, okay, I built my brand Instagram in and now we want to scale and now I've got to go different things. And and that, you know, they're like, oh, well, there's one surefire way to build a brand because that's what I've got to do. You know, I built an audience, but I haven't built a brand. I got to go build a brand and I got to do that through TV. There's a lot of that. I mean, I'm not rooting for this, but, you know, to some extent, a good old-fashioned recession Cures some of those ills, doesn't it? It certainly will. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna root for that. I have a. I have a mortgage and a and a, and a family at home, so I'm not rooting for any sort hey, you know, of recession. Whatever. But it's fine. but the, the reality is, is is exactly that. That it's not that demand is skyrocketing, but it's outpacing the decline that yeah. we're seeing from a supply yeah. side. Yeah. And also, I mean, something's really interesting too. That's in the TV space. Those ETC brands, they don't have legacy pricing. So they don't have to worry about the cost of entry. The cost of entry is on a physical dollar amount versus the actually CPMs they're going to have to clear for, which we're still going to fight to make sure that we have still efficient pricing that we have had year over year. So those guys are coming in willing to pay more because they don't less because they don't care. You know, I think everything that's been said is is spot on. And uh, just to sort of amplify uh, the the thought. I like that. That was very uh, subtle. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Working the branding a little bit here. Um, You know, as linear ratings decline— no debate of that. And as the diminution of those ratings are outpaced by the demand, uh, you see this economic model uh, occur. And and we talk a lot about addressability. And at the end of the day, it's about delivering brand audiences. And for us, uh, as audience viewing fragments across time, device, location, 
as consumers are more in control of how, where, and when they access their content, whether it's on a mobile device or in front of a high-def TV in the living room. We have to get good at assembling those pieces in a rational way uh, across device. So putting a media plan back when I was a, a planner was a pretty simple process. You put a signpost in primetime broadcast television, and you could expect audiences to come to you, the brand. Now human attention is a really a scarce economic resource. Brands now need to find, follow, and measure audiences in much different ways. And I think we're just starting to get good at, 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 at that. Yeah, and, and Brad and I were just talking about exactly that point this morning about really it's about helping to measure across all those platforms to really be able to show our clients that we are accumulating that much reach unduplicated across all the different areas that people are consuming because they're not necessarily differentiating about how they get their content. All they care about is what they watch, what they want to watch, when they want to watch it. Right. What's the one thing that people should be talking about that they aren't right now? Well, let's see. Uh, we talk about a lot. Um, I think it'll be, as we talk about more and more the use of data that we're using, how will any of those future-facing privacy laws continue to affect what we're doing to attract those audiences? We, we know that we want to use all the data at our disposal to yeah. really hone in on those audiences. That's not, we are constantly talking about that, but that would be... So you think the specter of the implications of that are even bigger than the amount that people are talking about it right now? Yeah, because yeah. I okay. think that it's it's an, it's not stopping where it is right now. Yeah. I think okay. that in the environment that we live in, um, people will continue to talk about data and yep. privacy protection. It's really interesting because it's, it's such a good point because what's happening in California is really unique right now, and that's going to launch. We already know that's happening. But yep. what's happening in Nevada and the 12 other states are going to start yep. implementing their own. They're not all the same. Yep. So now you have to learn laws for every single one. So until this becomes federal, and can be blanketed across, this is going to be a lot more difficult than GDPR. GDPR was at least nice because it was the one thing that was blanketed across all of Europe. Yep. We had, were able to implement that a lot more seamlessly than we are right now with breaking out every individual state. Yep. I mean, talk about addressability on steroids because now you have to make sure you're geofencing each single one and then make sure you're complying accordingly from one to the next. So it's a really good point. That's something that we definitely should be talking a lot more about. I mean, obviously, we our lawyers might be talking about it, but our advertisers, we start, they're, they're future-proofing themselves for 2020, 2021, and yeah. beyond. And I, they're not. You know, the area where I think there's opportunity, uh, and these guys have been talking articulately about the national marketplace uh, and their orientation. What I think there's a vacuum is there's a recognition. The local TV marketplace is a $25 billion market, give or take. And I'll make it up. These guys know better than I do. National, $45 billion, give or take. It's a $70 billion TV market. And a lot of what we talk about in terms of national investment and addressable investment is with national brands. But in the local marketplace, that $25 billion business, we have the ability to mine data at a DMA level to bring audience-based planning, reporting, and optimization to a significantly more robust level than has historically ever been available. We have over a million homes worth of data in a market like Boston that we can tie to brand data, i.e. truck owners, and be able to tie it back to viewership to identify what networks, day parts, programs in the Boston DMA deliver the truck owner. And historically, that marketplace has been rooted in a age, gender, panel, survey-based environment. Yep. And we're not suggesting we re replace that, but how can you complement that with shadow sure. insights, shadow currency, if you will? So I think there, I think you're going to see a, a revolution in the local market, that $25 billion that's sometimes the stepchild of the TV ecosystem. Uh, I, I think, I think uh, see 
uh, dramatic shifts as we think about leveraging data and measurement in the local. I love that. That's good. That's good. You can stay. Okay, so, uh, lightning round. <laughs> as we leave. It, yeah. As we leave. <laughs> lightning round. Uh, you can do the next pod. I have one later. You can host it. Um, so, uh, this is short answers to short questions in theory. All right. Um, Dave, we'll start with you. Favorite digital experience, uh, application, website environment, you know, uh, wearable, you, anything like that? I'll go with uh, Amazon Shopping. It's where I do all my shopping. Where you do all your shopping. Yeah. All right. And so when the holidays kids, roll around, that's my it. My kids want a new toy. <laughs> I need a new, uh, new plunger. That's where I'm going. <laughs> Soup to nuts. Yeah. Brad, uh, my Xbox. I run my TV through there, so that's everything that you do on there as well. And I am still a dork, and I'm a gamer. So, uh, <laughs> yes, I like What's your favorite game? Uh, right now, it's Rocket League and Call of Duty. So, totally lame answer, Waze. Uh, Amen. I do, I do a good fair answer. amount of travel on the one. weekends and yep. uh, uh, going to and from different spots for, with my kids. And uh, the uh, dollar savings from avoiding uh, tickets— uh, speeding tickets is a phenomenal return on investment. Yeah, no, I, as <laughs> a, a as a soccer father for many many years, Waze has gotten me up and down the Eastern Seaboard for sure. Yeah, uh, best piece of content recently consumed, you know, Netflix series, television show, book, podcast, movie, anything. To good good karma into the ecosystem, I'm going to say uh, Yankee baseball. I'm actually going to go for a commercial that I saw today on my way into work because I saw Amazon launched a new spot today with their AR capability so that you can look at how a piece that you want to buy on Amazon would look in your house with your phone. So oh, I think really? that's some content I just saw this morning that was like, that is cool. Yeah, that is cool. Amazon mentioned twice. I don't know if I love that, but that's okay. Uh, season two finale of Succession. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Loved it. We can't Pretty talk good. about Pretty it. Good. We don't do spoilers on this show, good. so we're moving along, but I thoroughly but was- enjoyed it. Favorite streaming platform, either currently launched or coming. I'll, I'll expand it to the, the potential. Fair, fair. I would say currently it's FX now because I'm watching The Simpsons with my 11-year-old son. He's <laughs> discovering The Simpsons and they have every single episode. Uh, future facing for my family will probably be Disney+. Plus. Currently, Voodoo. I've actually discovered Voodoo recently, which has a very phenomenal movie library. And then the, cur- the next one is going to be Disney+. Plus. I- I'm really excited for that. I think it's going to be phenomenal. I'll go with ESPN Plus. I've got three sons, uh, all in sort of high school, college age, all play sports. Uh, Best career advice you've either given or received? I've received a lot. I would say um, to make sure that you're listening. I'm certainly a talker, but it's. I was always told that to truly be a good leader, you have to make sure that you're listening to what people are saying to you, and you can pivot from there. But if you don't hear what what's being told to you, it's very hard to to lead accordingly. It stole my answer, so I'll go with another one that I just received uh, not too long ago about uh, deck building and making sure that when you are actually building a deck from start to finish, make sure that the storyline is there and that it's mm-hmm. cohesive and that what you're saying is actually coming to fruition throughout and all the facts are straight. So I think that's something that, that I took really to heart and has been really helpful in my career. Mm-hmm. I'll go with dribble with your head up. Uh, always look at what's going on around you. Try and see uh, see the full court. I love that. Last one. Thing people should know about you, but they don't. Uh, before I went to Lehigh University, I was this close to going to the Culinary Institute of America. Really? Yeah. Uh, oh, geez. Uh, know about me that I don't know. 
hula hoop champion. I mean, it can be anything. The more ridiculous, the better, obviously. Absolutely. Okay, well, this one just came up this morning, actually. Okay. So, uh, previous job that I, I used to do, many different jobs, one of which is I used to work at a tanning salon. Really? The largest tanning salon in New Jersey, actually on the East Coast, actually. And where yeah. is that? More than one. There's two. Well, he has both of them, so he has he has the two largest ones. <laughs> Scott's on tanning in Tom's River, New Jersey. All right. Yeah, yeah. Good so, plug. Yeah, I had to throw that out there for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I used to work at a tanning salon. No, I did not tan. All right. There you go. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm not a fan of cats. How about that? You're not a fan of cats. Not a fan of cats. We'll send you the dog ad. I like dogs. I'm not a fan of cats. Not a fan of cats. Um, for well, all the cat lovers, I apologize. Yeah, I was going to say my <laughs> my daughter, who, who would have turned this off probably 42 minutes ago, uh, it, she she definitely turned it off right now. Um, listen, guys, you've been absolutely fantastic. I can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for all the time. It was super insightful for me. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks awesome. for having thank us. you. Uh, we would love to have you back. We'll sort of see. We'll do a check in. Does that sound good? Love Phenomenal. it. Absolutely. Oh, that, that enthusiasm. Jason, you, did you get all that? <laughs> yeah, we'll turn that up. Yeah. <laughs> you, that do, you, do you have a uh, make that sound better? Um, thanks so much for joining us. That is another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. And don't hesitate, Jason. It's still free to subscribe just this week. Limited, limited offer from now until the end of 2019. Free. Next year, we institute a $40 subscription fee. So get it while it's hot. All right, thanks so much. We'll be out real soon. Bye-bye.